0: Good morning. Hello, my name is Cor Vanderwell, and the Old Testament reading is found in Exodus 34. This is where Moses goes up to Mount Sinai a second time to receive the second set of stone tablets. Starting in verse 5 The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name, The Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord. A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means declaring the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Mary. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. The Word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Callie. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke 15, 31 through 32. Then his father said, Son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. The gospel of the Lord. Let's remain standing as we pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word to us. We ask you now that as we listen to it being read and taught, that you would speak to us by the Holy Spirit. Open up our hearts and our minds, our eyes and our ears, that we would see and hear and understand and believe, put our trust in you, love you, follow you, surrender to you. We pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. have you ever met a celebrity or a famous person? Like maybe you found yourself like in an airport somewhere or you're in a big city like LA or New York or whatever and you're eating at some hipster cafe or coffee shop and you're like I think that's so-and-so. Maybe it was an artist or songwriter or Maybe a movie star. Anybody got a celebrity encounter story? I would listen to it if we had the time today. Maybe slightly different format, too, or an athlete. But my, I, I, I once met Peyton Manning. Actually, that's not true, but I got close. Look at this picture right here. This is about as close as I like, That's pretty close. That was Broncos training camp several years ago. The trouble is Peyton never turned around. I was shouting on the sideline, Omaha, Omaha, and he, just, he didn't turn around. That's about as close as I got. uh, But when you meet someone that is famous and you kind of know their stats and you know all of the the things that they have done and their accomplishments, it's not the same thing as meeting them in person. And when you meet them in person, it can go either way, right? If if you had a little encounter with a famous person or a celebrity, chances are you said something like, Oh, they were mean. They they were, they were didn't have any interest in talking to me. Or it's the other way around where you say, They were so nice. They were surprisingly nice. And it's usually one of those two things. Either they were terrible or they were nice. And you're just, I, I need to know... This is series, we're, we've been in this series called Who is God? And we start, we're starting out by talking about who is God, the Father. And we're spending six or seven weeks talking about the Father. And then as we get into that season of the church calendar known as Lent, that journey of preparation toward Good Friday and Easter, we'll turn our attention to the Son, Jesus. We'll talk about who is God, the Son. Who is God, who is Jesus? And then after Easter, we'll spend six weeks or so talking about the Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? So far, in this first kind of part of our series where we've been talking about the Father, in a way, we've kind of given you a little bio sketch. We've given you, if it's not too irreverent to put it this way, we've given you the player's card for the Father. So, this is his stat sheet. He's the Father, the Almighty, the Maker of heaven and earth. Like, well, that's pretty great stats. And then you're saying, well, what's he actually like? And that's what we're going to turn our attention to over the next couple of weeks is to say, but what's he actually like? Now, when you're getting to know someone, you might read up some info about them. Maybe it's a new coworker. maybe it's a new employee, maybe it's a new boss or manager. And you might look at their little sort of one sheet from HR and you might say, oh, these are their strengths finders and this is their personality and this is their Enneagram. And you might know all of those things, but until you sit down and talk with them, you're not really sure what they're going to be like. In fact, when you read a novel or a story, one of the best ways to pay attention to find out who a character is, is to see what the character says about themselves. Now, that might be the more obvious thing to do. Often, we've, we learn about characters by what others say about them. But in the Bible, we have God speaking. And not just God speaking. We talked about this several weeks ago. God speaking to create but we see very early on in the second book in our, in our scriptures a dramatic moment. And not that that was the first one. But a dramatic definitive moment where God speaks in an act of self-disclosure. Where Moses is saying, I want to know what you're like. I don't want to just know your stat sheet. I don't want to just know facts about you. Like what are you actually, like? can I see you? And Moses saw the Lord pass Before him, Except the difference between me and Peyton Manning's back is God spoke to Moses in that moment. And calls out to him. And so this morning we're going to look at Exodus 34 and we're going to explore the theme. Who is God the Father? Merciful and gracious. Merciful and gracious. And here's why we've titled it that way. Exodus 34 verse 6. It says the Lord passed before him. Passed before Moses and proclaimed... The Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. There's more to be said. There's more that God says about himself. Next week, Pastor Jason will talk about the God who keeps covenant, the God of faithfulness. On Ash Wednesday, a service that we'll do in here about 10 days from now, Wednesday of the following week, we'll hear a sermon about the justice and judgment of God. But I think it's significant that the very first phrase that comes out of the mouth of God, when Moses says, I want to know you, I want to know who you are, he says, the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious the self-revelation of God begins with the revelation of his grace and we'll read other chapters in the Bible other passages in the scriptures that say things in, in revelation the elders and the living creatures say oh holy holy is the Lord but when God is revealing himself to humankind he says I just I'm merciful and gracious that's the thing I want you to know. And so this morning I want us to reflect on three things about the Father's grace. Three aspects or dimensions of the Father's grace. And the first is this. The Father's grace is more than enough. Amen. It's more than enough. That sounds like maybe, maybe, you know, well, isn't that obvious? I mean, we sing that your grace is enough. You're like, yeah, yeah. You know, we, that, that's a common phrase. But the truth is, don't we often live like grace is on short supply? That grace is a fixed commodity, that God's only got so much grace. And when he gives it out, he's like, sorry, I, just, I didn't budget for that much grace. I'm done. I mean, i we sort of spent it all in one place. Didn't mean to do that, but oh, whoops. And he runs out as if it's on a tight sort of... That, that, that is fixed. This, this word, the Hebrew word for abundant or abounding, shows up in Genesis talking about the wickedness of humanity. But we sang it this morning, our sins were many, but his mercy is more. And it's almost like God is trying to say, look, what you see all around you is the abundance of wickedness or the abundance of sin. But God's like Moses, what I want you to know is I'm the God of a, who's abundant in mercy who's abounding in grace. Moses, who himself was running out of patience for the people of God. And God says, Moses, we we need to know something. You need to know something here. My grace is not in short supply. It's not a fixed commodity. It's not one pie that has to be shared among so many people. It's a grace that is abounding. The Father's grace is more than enough. It's not like... Kids at the dinner table fighting over how much cake is left for dessert. Well, his piece is bigger than my piece. And if his piece is bigger than my piece, then I'm not going to have enough. And at that moment, parents are like, you know what? This cake is not going to be enough because I'm going to throw it away right now. All the pieces. Have you all fight over cake. The Father's grace is not like that, which means someone else doesn't have to lose for you to win. Let's say that again. Someone else doesn't have to lose for you to win. You don't have to think of the economy of the kingdom of God and say, well, God, why are you blessing them? I can't believe you're pouring out your grace on them because there's not going to be any left over for me. It's kind of a waste, God. And he's like, I'm not running out. Like, I'm not running out of favor and grace and abundance and blessing. There's more than enough. But we live sometimes with this scarcity mentality. The scarcity of grace. And so we fight over it or argue about it and say, well, h- hang on, God. If there's a scarcity of grace, then we need to prove who deserves it more. And I'm better than she is. So if you're going to dole out the grace, give it here, not there. I mean, that's sin. Whew. I mean, are they even really sorry? But give the grace over here. Which relates to the sec- leads us to the second thing. Not only is the Father's grace more than enough, but the Father's grace is for everyone. It's for everyone. In the ancient world, gift giving was a common practice, but you had to be a discerning giver. You had to figure out the merit or the status of the recipient. And if you gave a gift to someone who did not deserve it, it would make you look bad. And so a foolish giver indiscriminately gives gifts. And so in the ancient world, when, when, when Moses starts saying this, no, that God's grace abounds. It's, it's for all nations. And you see them struggling with it, even in the Old Testament, to say, we, we, we did this uh, last year when we did the, the, the sermon on Jonah. Or Jonah's struggling. and He's saying, God, how can you have mercy on these people? They don't deserve it. Now, we are special, but they don't deserve it. And we have a hard time recognizing that actually God's grace is for everyone. And maybe our struggle with this is along one of two options. Either we don't believe it's for everyone because we think we don't deserve it. And we think, well, I mean, you say it's for everyone, but do you know what I did? Do you know my biographical sketch? Do you know what I've done? I got surely for everyone like on a bell curve here, but not on the edges, right? The people on the edge is surely a distribution curve. We, we, we don't get that, right? Like, we're, on the, we're the outliers. We're the ones that this doesn't apply to. No, it's for everyone. And then on the other side, you say, well, maybe, it's, maybe you don't struggle with the sentence because you think you don't deserve it. But maybe you struggle with this because you think you don't need it. And, like, it's for everyone. Well, I mean, sure, it's definitely for her. It's definitely for him. But, you know, me, I mean, I just need like a little 10% grace. Give me 10% off, Jesus. That's all I need. I don't need the whole like free gift thing. Just give me a little discount. Because I'm pretty good. I mean, I'm pretty good. I haven't done the biggies, you know, whatever the big sins are in your mind. Everyone's got a list. And like, I just need a little bit. Just, just you know, maybe meet, meet me halfway, God. Either we don't believe that we deserve it or we don't believe that we need it. You know, Jesus, not only in the, in the Bible does the Father self-disclose... But Jesus, the full revelation of God, Jesus, the one who said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus tells us stories about the Father. He tells us stories about what the Father is like. And one of the most shocking stories is the story Jesus told about the parable of the sower. And, you know, we, 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 we pay attention to all of the different soils, and that's right, that is kind of one of the, you know, sort of main themes of the parable. But have you ever noticed that Jesus describes a farmer who's scattering seed everywhere? Now my father-in-law is a farmer. Like I don't like if I were to say to him, Bill, how 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 did you plant corn this season? Like oh I just threw it everywhere, I just chucked it, like you chucked the corn. Like yeah just yeah, just threw it. I was just driving out my truck and just went. Ooh. Some of it ended up on the gravel road. Some of it ended up on the pavement. Some of it was in the front garden, kind of weird. Some of it was in the field. You're like that that bro, city kid. That's not how you're supposed to. Farm. Farmers know this isn't what you do with seeds. You don't just throw it everywhere. But notice Jesus is telling the story as a way of saying the Father's grace goes out to everyone. The Father's call goes out to everyone. It's meant to reach everyone. But perhaps the greatest story of all that Jesus told to demonstrate the Father's grace being for everyone is the story that he told in Luke 15. Now we sometimes call this story the parable of the prodigal son. But of course it's not that. It's a story of prodigal sons. And you see it when you see the sequence of stories. And I've said this several times here at New Life Downtown. But you see it in the sequence of stories. Let's do some basic math this morning. Can we? Is that okay? Can we do it Sunday morning? Basic math? We're going to do it. The first story in Luke 15 Jesus tells is of a lost sheep. And a shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the 1. So 1 out of 100 are lost. What percentage is that? 1%. It's not a trick question. 1%. If you're listening to Jesus tell this story, you're like, 1% of the world are lost. Hmm. I would have thought it was higher, but okay. I'm listening. And then he tells a second story about a woman who had 10 coins and one coin was lost. And she tears apart the apartment to find that coin. What's the percentage of 1 out of 10? 10 percent it's like okay 10 percent And you're listening to Jesus and you're like that sounds about right actually if I think about it you know my cousin and you know you're going down the list of people you know and then he tells this story and in Luke 15 he says okay there's a father who had two sons and the younger son said to the father give me my inheritance you might as well be dead let's go and goes and squanders it and He's, his life is desperate, and he's living with pigs and decides he's going to come home. And he comes home, and the father comes running, and you're listening to the story, and you're like, yeah, 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 yeah. So basically what you're saying, Jesus, is the world, there are two types of people in the world. Those who are prodigals and those who are not. Those who are dirty, rotten sinners and those who are pretty good. Isn't that the story, of Jesus? And now what's the percentage of people who are lost? 50%. except that Jesus doesn't end the story there. In fact, that's just act one. That's just the intermission. The story isn't even over. When the story keeps going, you meet the older brother. And you recognize that actually both sons leave the father's house. Both sons exit the father's house. One leaves out of rebellion. The other leaves because he's pouting. You might say he's leaving out of quote-unquote religiosity rebellion and religion two ways of leaving the father's house and the father goes after both of them when the prodigal comes home the father runs to meet him when the older brother won't come in the father pleads with him and he says come on in the point is when you listen to this story you all of a sudden recognize it's not one percent or ten percent or fifty percent it's a hundred percent the father's grace is for everyone it's good news But it requires you to actually admit the bad news. You need it. The bad news hidden in good news, when someone's offering you help, is, oh, I actually need this. (laughs) I I actually don't know how I'm going to make it. Father's grace is for everyone, whether we think we don't deserve it or whether we think we don't need it the final thing for us to reflect on this morning and we're going to spend a bit more time on this one is that the father's grace forms us now this is where we kind of pause a little bit You're like, well, what do you, what do you mean it forms us i thought grace was just sort of like free gift no strings attached listen to this in 1 corinthians 15 but by the grace of god paul's writing here he says by by the grace of god i am what i am and his grace to me was not without effect now, I don't know what you thought about grace prior to this morning, but chances are we don't link the word effect with grace. Because Why does grace have to have an effect? It's just grace, right? It's just a state. It's a, it's a gift. It's, it's favor. What do you mean there was an effect? And then it gets even worse. Paul says, no, I worked harder than all of them. And you're like, oh, no, Paul. Haven't you read Ephesians? Paul's like, I wrote it. Um, uh, What about Romans? I wrote that one too. What are you saying, Paul? Don't you understand that grace and works don't go together? Paul's like, I never said that. He says, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Paul's changing the way we think about grace by helping us recognize that the grace of God is meant to produce something in us. It's supposed to make us new creation. It's supposed to empower us toward a new way of living. It's supposed to achieve something, and it it, it empowers our own work so that we can say, I work. No, was that even me? I don't know if that was me. I think that was God's grace in me. And all of a sudden, we recognize that grace is meant to form us. But you know why we have trouble with this? It's because of a German philosopher named Immanuel Kant. You may not know it. A couple hundred years ago, and I can't go into all the details right now. It, It was right there. I just had to do it. It was right there. Thank you, Bruce, my philosophy professor friend. I had to do it. But Kant took an idea that he vaguely understood from Christianity and put his own spin on it where he developed this sort of notion of altruistic virtue where you do something good for itself and not with the hope of anything in return. And so today in the West we have this notion that the best gift is a gift with no strings attached. But even in the West we doubt that such things really exist because we also have this other saying there's no such thing as a free lunch. And so we have this vague idealistic notion that There's got to be, the best gift is a gift with no strings attached. And then we're like, but really, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And maybe it's helpful for us to get out of Kant's world and to think about the rest of the world. And you see this in in other parts of the world. If If you travel to other parts of the world, you'd recognize that actually people understand that gifts always create something. They always create a sense of bond or or, or a bond to another person. They're They're also supposed to sort of create a kind of effect in us. If you give someone a gift of a meal and you bring that meal to them, what's the minor, 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 minor expectation that you have? That they'll eat it. If you bring someone a gift and they're like, what's this? Put it in the trash. You're like, that's weird. Gifts are always, they have a desired end to the gift. If you bought a car for your teenager who's going off to college or whatever, and they said, yeah, um, I don't think I'm going to take care of this. I'm just going to drive it, and then, like, I don't know, it's broken, and you know, I, didn't, I didn't do the oil changes. You're like, you got this gift, and you didn't take care of it? Like, I don't understand. See, here's the thing. God's gift is for everyone. And he has a desired end in mind. And he has a desired end We kind of get the two things confused. Like, well, if God's gift is for everyone, then surely there are no strings attached. And God's like, no, it's the ultimate string. I'm hoping to draw you in, Jeremiah says. He's drawn us with cords of loving kindness. His grace is meant to bind us to himself, to pull us to himself. Grace is meant to have a desired effect. And I want to just say three things this morning, three ways that it forms us. The Father's grace is meant to form us in maturity. Form us in maturity. It's supposed to grow us up. See, some of you, you love this idea of like, oh, God's grace is so good. Ooh, I love the Father's grace. Let's sing about that some more. And then we start saying, and the Father wants you to live like a family member, which means you're going to have to think about sexuality a little bit differently. And you're like... Grace, brother, just grace. So, said, uh, well, the Father's grace has called you into his family and he wants you to manage your money differently. Whoa, 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 Pastor, grace, not works. The Father's grace has made you a member of this family so he wants you to love your enemy. Whoa, 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 whoa. radical. I'll, I'll see if I want to do that extra credit, Glenn. God's like, it's not extra credit. That's the desired effect of Grace. The desired effect of grace is supposed to form us into maturity. Years ago, when I was in college, a friend found out that I'd never been skiing before. I grew up in Malaysia. You know, there's no snow. And they were determined that they were going to get me to go skiing. And so he connected with a friend of his in Colorado and was like, come on, Glenn, we're going to take spring break and we're going to go to Colorado my friend's going to help us and we're going to go skiing. And I was like, oh, no, I don't have a ski jacket. And then my then girlfriend, Holly at the time, bought me a ski jacket for Christmas. I was like, darn, I don't have an excuse now. And then I was like, well, I told my friend, I'm like, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't have a lot of money. I can't buy the ski ticket. like, oh, my friend is paying for the ski ticket. I'm like, darn it. I'm like, well, I don't like driving on mountain roads. Still true. And he said, no, we'll drive you. I'm like, oh, but I don't know what I'm doing. We'll teach you. But I don't want to go alone. We'll ski with you. I'm like, doggone it, I am not getting out of this. And so I had to devote a day, and I'm still, it's not, this is not my thing. You know, I've, I've, I've had many years, 22 years of living in Colorado. It's still not my thing. The grace did not have its desired effect in my life. But they were determined. It was not for lack of trying. Are there ways that we can resist God's grace? Man, that's a sermon for another time. What I want to say today is that God's grace is designed to form us in maturity. To make us grow up. Romans 5 verse 16 says, And the free gift is not like the effect of the one man's sin. It's got a stronger effect than sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brings justification. I love this. Some of you, when you think of justification, you think of the courtroom, the judge saying not guilty. That's true. That's a very good image. And then you can layer some other images on it. The the other image with justification is the image of membership. Or if you would like, family. And so think of a courtroom, but instead of not guilty, it's the other verdict. If you've ever adopted a kid where the judge pounds the gavel and says, this is now your son. This is your forever family. Justification has all of those connotations to it where there's a not guilty verdict and there's a family verdict being declared, where this is now your father and you are now his daughter and his son. Romans 8, a few chapters later, Paul will say, when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's a gift that creates a relationship, a gift that forms us in maturity. But not just that, It's also the Father's grace forms us as a community. Not just in maturity, but as a community. We're supposed to sort of be connected to one another. Now, this is the thing that that we don't like. She's like, Glenn, I really like what you talk about, the Father's grace. I love it. Oh man, Papa Daddy, heart of God. Just love the Father in me. It's beautiful. And then I'm like, yeah. And open your eyes. To your left is your sister. And you're like, "Mm mm-mm. And open your eyes. To your right is your brother. "Uh -uh." Uh-uh. Mm-hmm. Because the Father's grace doesn't just form a vertical relationship. It forms a horizontal one. Gifts always create relationships. They create these new realities. In fact, one of the reasons we struggle with this word grace is because we, we've churchified it, right? So we've got the hymns, amazing grace, grace, grace to you, brother, grace and peace. And it becomes churchy language. But in the first century, when the New Testament's being written, the, this word for grace is just the word gift. It's the word gift. And gifts are always creating something. They create new relationships. They create connections with other people. Uh, if you don't believe me, if you're in the room and you're dating someone or you're newly married or you're in a new relationship or you're engaged, what if your boyfriend or fiance or spouse got a birthday gift from their ex? You'd be like, that's, I mean, no, that shouldn't happen. So, well, it's just a free gift with no strings attached. You're like, I'm going to tell you, there's something attached to that. <laughs> you cannot give him that gift. So, it's just a gift. It's not just a gifts connect people there's something here that is meant to bind us to other people and in the gospel the father's grace is meant to bind us to into a family that passage in Luke 15 that story that Jesus told toward the end of it verse 29 it says but he answered the father listen for all these years I've been working like a slave for you that's a clue into his own mindset And I've never disobeyed your command, yet you've never given me even a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, now look at why this is underlined and in bold. But when this son of yours. This is the older brother disassociating himself, saying, no connection with me. If you want a connection with him, fine, but no connection with me. This son of yours came back who has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed a fatted calf for him. And the father said, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. The abundant grace of the father. But then he says, but we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours. You're trying to call him this son of yours. The father's like, "Mm -mm, this brother of yours. Don't disassociate from the family connection. He was dead and has come to life. He was lost and he has been found. Paul picks up on this in Ephesians 2. We love verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Stand and pray. Hallelujah. Oh, the gift of God. Paul's like, mm, I'm not finished with my sermon yet. Because the rest of chapter 2, Paul starts to talk about the effect of the grace of God in breaking down every wall. Breaking down, dividing walls of hostility. Part of the tragedy of a a divided church in America today is we've made much of the vertical effect of the grace of God and made too little of the horizontal effect of the grace of God. We want a right relationship with God, but we don't want a right relationship with people who are different than us. We want justification, but we don't want justice. And the grace of God is meant to do both. The grace of God is meant to do both. And then Paul says, He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace. And might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death that hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off. Peace to those who were near. For through him both of us have access In one spirit, to two different fathers. To the Father. Paul can't speak about grace without speaking about a family. Without speaking about a new people. This is the thing that is so challenging for us. As human beings, we we have to sort of thin slice a little bit. And so you meet someone and you're like, oh, how, how old are they? Or what background do they come from or where do they grow up oh Colorado I, I, I live in Colorado and you find points of connection based on little thin slices of their life but we also do the reverse we also use little thin slices of a person's life to find reasons to disassociate from them oh that's who you voted for oh that's what you posted on social media oh I saw you speaking out about this thing and oh I'm, I'm not for that and we come up with these thin slice labels that we say liberal hateful, Marxist, racist, black, white. And the Father's grace is supposed to have the kind of effect on us that says, I don't know a lot about you, but I know that the Father's grace was meant to make you into the same family as me. And Maybe we're not there yet. Maybe I'm outside the house. Maybe you're outside the house. But I think if the Father had his way, We'd all end up inside the house at the same feast. Thank you. I want that to get inside us. The Father's grace is not just horizontal, not just vertical, it's horizontal. It's not just personal or spiritual, it's relational and communal, it's social. The Father's grace is meant to make a family. Not only does the Father's grace form us in maturity and it, as a community, but it forms us for generosity. Forms us outward toward generosity. Imagine a person who hoards gifts. This is why we have these fast, this fascination with hoarders. Because we're like, why did you keep all that stuff? Imagine if every Christmas or birthday gift you ever got, you're like, you just kept it in a closet. And you're like, look, these are all the gifts I've ever gotten. You'd be like, <laughs> weird. Like, what, what are you doing? The gifts come to us so that they can come through us to others. God's grace is meant to provoke generosity. 1 Peter 4.10 says it this way. Like good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Change that word grace and just say gift. Like good stewards of the manifold gift or gifts of God. Serve one another with, with whatever gift each of you has received. Everything you receive, let it go outwards into service for others. One of the things we learn about gift giving in other parts of the world today, and, the, and it's particularly true in the ancient world of the, of the scriptures, is that gifts were meant to complete a kind of a cycle. You give a gift to someone, they're supposed to complete the cycle in some way. We know this because we feel the awkwardness of like a friend that you always give them a gift for Christmas and they never give you a gift on Christmas. And that's just kind of weird. I mean, every year I buy them something small and they never buy me anything bad. Now you might choose to be like, I'm still gonna keep doing it, but what's your hope? Eventually, the circle gets completed. How does grace get completed? The Father lavishes his grace on us. Do we pay him back? No, but we go upward in gratitude and outward in service. Upward in gratitude and outward in generosity. That's how the circle of grace gets completed. The gifts come pouring in and we don't just say, thanks God, this is awesome, I'm going to go home now. We say, okay, 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 gratitude to you and generosity to others. That's how grace gets completed as a cycle. We might sum it all up this way as the worship team comes. The Father pours out His abundant grace to everyone. Making it possible to become children of God in the family of God. Thanks be to God. This is the goal of the Father's grace. We could have a sermon on the grace of God and just make it about you and the Father. But you won't find too much of that in the scripture. The moment God pours out his forgiveness and his grace, it's in that same instant that he's calling a people. He's making a new family. And he's saying, these people, there's no other reason that they belong together except that they've all been the recipients of my gifts. What connects us? on a Sunday morning. Do we all vote the same way? Do we all look the same way? Do we all earn the same amount? I hope that what connects us Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, week after week after week, is that we gather together at New Life Downtown and say, I don't know where we all came from, but I do know one thing. We've all received the grace of God. We've all received the grace of God. That's the thing that binds us to one another. Would you stand with me this morning?